From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. All right. Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to the Indie Weekly Podcast. We're happy to have you. So coming up in just a minute or two, we have a fantastic conversation this week that was held live during our Indie Weekly session, uh, one of our Indie Weekly sessions back in January. So for this one, Daryl was joined by really a fabulous panel. It includes Joanne Setterington, publicist and artist manager with Indoor Recess, Jonathan Simkin, the founder of 604 Records, as well as Jessica Powell, the co-founder and CEO of AudioShake, one of the coolest AI tools revolutionizing the music industry. And what they were doing, this is really a fun one. They were just essentially chatting casually about industry predictions for this year, 2023. They're talking about AI and technology, of course, also the health and what's coming in the uh, live music market and a bunch of other things. Really, this was a fun one. And leading the charge, of course, as usual, is uh, Daryl Hurst, founder of Indie Week. But as always, before we get to this week's conversation, we must first acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinabe, Métis, and Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Of course, we must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, Actor Racks, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, SEMA, City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SOCAN Foundation. We must also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work we do for the music community. So a big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, now to this week's conversation. But let's get talking about this stuff. Um, again, we're going to be talking about what does what do we think this year is going to look like? And we're kind of this... We're going in two different sections, but also diverging, all that kind of stuff with tech and live. And uh, I'm actually really excited about this. So with that, I'm going to ask each guest to introduce themselves. And uh, I'm going to go with the order that's on my screen. So, uh, Joe, I'm going to get you to start. And uh, if you can give a little bit of your background, that'd be great. Yes, uh, my name is Joanne Sutterington. I have um, a couple of companies. One is a PR company called Indoor Recess PR, and then I have an artist management company called Indoor Recess Management. Um, creative, um, but uh, I've been in the industry for around twenty to twenty-five years now, and um, just a mishmash of things started out in publicity and then moved over to management a decade ago and um going to work internationally work uh domestically on the PR side and um yeah that's who I am awesome thank you so much and uh one thing I forgot to mention I always do this at the start is uh, I'm, I'm I'm working a lot burning the midnight hours all that stuff so i'm always on energy so you know after i talk about sponsors if anybody knows red bull i'm up for a sponsorship anytime so you can pass them my number or email that'd be great uh next up is jessica powell uh from audio shake uh jessica hi everyone um jessica um ceo of audio shake we are an ai technology that is able to take the full mix of a song so whether it is 
from the 1930s in a mono track recording through to something recorded uh, digitally in a studio yesterday. Um, we can split it into its stems and instrumentals. And we work with um, labels, publishers, uh, indie artists uh, across the board, work with folks so that they can open up their songs if they don't have their stems and instrumentals already for things like sync licensing, Dolby Atmos, surround sound mixes, um, uh, remasters, remixing, all kinds of uses. Um, and thanks so much for having me here today. Awesome. Thanks, Jessica. And uh, I was lucky to meet, actually meet Jessica in L.A. last year uh, at Future Worlds conference. So uh, good to see you. Uh, Jonathan, uh, if you can unmute and give us a background on yourself. Hi. Um, OK. Um, I started, I guess, as a as an entertainment lawyer or actually I started as a criminal lawyer, but then accidentally fell into uh, entertainment law. I'm talking 25 or so years ago, more actually, 30 years ago. Um, so I'm definitely, one of the things I'm known for is I've been uh, the lawyer for the band Nickelback for 28 years. Oh my God, 28 years. Um, still their lawyer today, was their lawyer before they were even called Nickelback. Um, and then Chad Kruger and I started 604 Records in around 2000. And uh, we've had a good run on that. Uh, Theory of a Dead Man, uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, I executive produced Call Me Maybe, um, uh, Marianas Trench, um, Jojo Mason, Dallas Smith, Coleman Hell. So um, it's been it's it's been good. We've also branched out into other things. Uh, we have a comedy label now, Comedy Here Often. Uh, we won the Juno this year for Best Comedy Album, which was great. Um, we have uh, Light Organ, which has been around for 10 years. That's the Zolas and Hotel Mira and Fake Shark and more alternative bands. We also have an NFT division. I represent two or three of the biggest NFT artists in the world, including Mad Dog Jones, who broke the record for uh, the highest selling single piece of art by a living Canadian a few years ago. We also rep Fuck Render, Victor Mascara, and some other big names in the NFT world. Um, I think that's it. Amazing. Uh, yeah, Jonathan, I got to say, uh, it's been great to see uh, 604 Records just continue with uh, great success. And uh, I'm from Alberta, so I remember early Nickelback days and uh, when, uh, uh, you know, first things were getting started. So uh, it's good to see that they're releasing more new music. Um, all right. So to get this started, um, let's reflect a little bit on last year coming out of COVID. Uh, a lot of the talk in the music industry was back to live and the importance of live music um, and sustaining it, not only the artists, but the venues, the techs, the road crews. And uh, I was sort of saying in what we call the green room before we started the talk is uh, I really feel for the agents because they probably feel like they booked four years worth of shows last year. Uh, with the amount of cancellations and the rebookings. And I know a number of managers on the road where COVID still existed and they had to cancel shows because crew and uh, we've heard stories about tour buses not being available. And that's a reason for tours being canceled. But here we are in 2023 and uh, things are looking like moving forward uh, full steam ahead. I'm seeing more and more tours being announced. Um, more than almost ever than before at this time of year. Um, I'd like to just sort of go across uh, all of our speakers and just say, you know, what what are your thoughts on, is COVID still affecting live music? Is it 
a thing that we need to be still worried about or are we back full steam ahead? And uh, I'm going to go again uh, the same order. So, uh, Joanne. Yeah, I would say it was a rough re-entry for um, us into live uh, on all aspects from club, you know, owners, promoters, agents, tour crews, uh, travel companies, um, artists, all of all of that was very rough. First of all, everything was more expensive. Um, you know, everything from when we used to be able to go to somewhere like hotels.com and get, you know, rooms that were reasonable, uh, there are no discounts anymore at all because the hotels are also trying to recover. So it's like we all fed into that same ecosystem and coming out of it, everyone was still starving. And so, you know, no one could give those discounts. Uh, flights were expensive. Tour buses were impossible. Um, even the level down from tour buses where they have vans and so forth, people were being forced into getting a tour bus because there's sort of this in-between where you can, what are they? I, I'm not, a, it's like bandwagon is one of the companies that have um, sort of like really, um, refurbished uh sprinter vans and stuff but all of those were taken so bands had to go to tour buses instead and you know instead of it being 1600 a day it was more like 2000 a day or more than that and um there just weren't any of those cost cutting places to go plus everyone needed cancellation insurance across all those things as well and, uh, you know, everyone was terrified that they would get COVID and have to shut down the entire tour, which happened often, um, you know, <laughs> and depending on the country you were in, different, you know, ramifications and rules and so forth. So this year feels better, but the expenses are still there. They're still very high. People are still trying to recover, you know, um, a lot of the, um, the help that this industry received in Canada, especially from the government and so forth, that's all gone away, but it's not to say that, that we're back to normal. Like, and I think that there will be a new normal, but people are starting to do residencies more, you know, having, having fans come to them. I think that will start to become more popular with even smaller artists than, you know, not just the Harry Styles or the Adele's doing New York or Las Vegas. I think we'll start to see residencies become more, a more efficient way for people to see live music. Um, and I know that for indie artists, it's just been a huge struggle that a lot are announcing they're not going to they're not going to do it anymore. You know, they can't afford it. They can't afford the touring. So they're just not going to because the artists never made a ton of money from touring until you got to a certain level, you know, they, they did it more to, to promote and make money from other streams, but they were never the ones making money off of live touring to a large extent. And then you just have the entire mental health, um, you know, storyline playing into that as well, where artists and people working for artists and so forth, uh, a lot of people realized how unhappy and how unhealthy touring was. So that's also playing into it where Sean Mendez and Justin Bieber and all kinds of people are now saying like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. You guys go figure it out in the industry of how to make it work, but I'm not going to do that anymore because it's super unhealthy. So 
we are still, you know, <laughs> the ship is still shaking as it comes back into orbit, trying to figure out what this new normal is going to look like for touring. Right. And if I could just quickly ask you a question, um, a, a lot sort of came to mind. You, you said a, a lot uh, that really hit home. Um, as these businesses are trying to recoup, this is one thing that I've seen in past kind of cases, like when SARS hit and all that kind of stuff. This is also their opportunity to raise the prices, but keep them there. It's not necessary temporary raises in prices it's ongoing which changes the outlook moving forward um is that something that you're also sort of seeing and considering yeah prices did rise you mean from the artist side to to raise the ticket prices so forth yeah i mean that's... well it's all the way down like like you said airlines and hotels and then that forces artists to raise money to try to recoup uh, so it really does keep trickling down to that fan that wants to go up, but it, it's it's really expensive and that's going to have an impact. Yeah, people have changed their patterns and now we're only allowed to have two drinks a week in Canada, according to the news today. So now what are bars going to do? I know they just have this entire report about how unhealthy it is. So it's gone from 10 for women a week to two for men or women. So I'm sure bars and venues are happy. <laughs> anyway, we'll let them worry about that part. Um, but uh, yeah, there are some some big changes happening that even then the consumer has to try to figure out, okay, I used to go to you know 30 shows a year and it was a 15 to $20 ticket, you know, for somewhere that was like a three to 500 room. Now those are more like 30 to $35 a ticket they're not going to be able to go out as much, which is where so much of the other promotion happens, whether it's merch or other experiences and so forth. It's really hard to figure out what people are going to end up doing. Yeah, very interesting. It's it's going to be a telling year uh, to see how it does sort of shake out or not. Um, and and when you said the the drink part, uh, again, I'm in Brazil, so I haven't heard that news. That's the first I've heard of it. <laughs> Stay there. Immedi Im immediately, I thought of my past Jack Daniels sponsorships or my Jägermeister sponsorships. That'll have an impact because, as we know, sponsorships sort of dry up if there's no way that they're going to recoup. Um, yeah. So that'll be interesting. Uh, we're going to jump to uh, Jonathan on this question. Uh, what have you seen or what do you sort of see how last year went and going into this year with uh, some of the artists you're working with, uh, you know, more on the major side of things, uh, what is touring like looking like for them? Yeah. I mean, obviously understatement, it was a strange couple of years there. And um, it was funny running a label and a management company, the, the label actually had a couple of the best years it's ever had. And I think that was also a direct function of the fact that people weren't going out to shows. So, you know, with people not going out to shows, but still wanting music in their lives, streaming just, I mean, it was incredible. Um, our streaming revenue, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it was, it, it more than made up for the lost revenue on the live side, which was just interesting. I think, you know, in the same way that COVID has changed the way people look at their jobs, I don't just mean in the music business, I mean, any jobs, 
um, so many more people now working remotely and and sort of changing things. I, I I think it's the same with with live music. I think that it's changed forever. And I think there were other trends that were happening at the same time that all kind of converged. So you know, um, uh, this has become a very niche business. Um, this has become a business where there's very few, you know, massive successes and a lot more people who are um, having success by really focusing on their own core and niche audience, which you know affects how people tour as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had a lot of things happen when this was all going on. You know, Nickelback was supposed to do a world tour in support of the 15th anniversary of all the right reasons. Uh, tour was booked, everything was ready to go, trucks were booked, crew was booked, and then boom, um, pandemic hits. And uh, guess what? You can only do a 15th year anniversary in the 15th year. So uh, once that you know got all fucked up, that was it. Uh, the tour got blown out. They're going to go out again this year. But um, you know, yeah, the, the it's changed. You can you can feel it. Uh, the public isn't as inclined to go. I think there's still a lot of people who are nervous about going out, especially in certain types of venues. I think. Um, you know, people are more inclined to go to festivals and things that are outdoor that somehow feel a little bit safer than being shoved inside a little club. Um, you know, so um, I think we're all still trying to figure out exactly what the hell's going on and, um, you know, how to best deal with it. During the pandemic, we were, we were able to squeeze out a few tours and we were just careful about it and, and really um, targeted about it. So, for example, Hotel Mira and the Zolas went out in the States. That would have been a daunting thing to do, uh, pandemic aside. Um, but in a weird kind of way, it, it, it kind of worked out great. I mean, were the crowds huge? No, the crowds weren't huge. But you know what? The bands really built a connection with those fans. We really um, saw an uptick on streaming in all the cities that we played in. So um, touring's still a big part of things. It's just... Um, it's just different now. And in the same way that we're still trying to figure out the way the pandemic has changed everything, we're still trying to figure out the way pandemic has changed touring. Um, but lots of weird things. Like, for example, there's this real phenomenon that's still happening where, you know, you'll, you'll sell 150 tickets to a show in Wichita and um, only 75 people come. Well, the other 75 people bought tickets. Where the hell are they? You know, what happens? Somebody buys a ticket and then they get nervous at the last second. So, you know, there's enough of that kind of weirdness that um, our approach is definitely um, cautious um, going forward. Touring's still a huge part of things for us. Most of our bands are going to tour. Any of our bands who want to tour, we're going to figure out a way to, to get them touring. Um, but um, we're a lot more cautious in how we approach it. Yeah, it, you know, I've heard a lot about what you just said, where um, I think the numbers I've been hearing is about 25 to 30 percent is kind of the average of ticket holders not showing up to the shows. And uh, that affects the bars. We talked about bar sales uh, that affects uh, being able to pay everybody uh, sometimes. Uh, and it also affects merch sales. Um, so is a strategy almost to go towards almost like overselling or uh, we're trying to find ways for people to sell their ticket at that club level. Like I bought a ticket, I can't go, but I can resell it. Um, 
you know, we there's Ticketmaster has that kind of capability uh, or some of the other resellers, but sometimes not at the venue level. Is Does that sound like something that might be considered a thought about? Because it really is about putting bums in seats and, and trying to fill all these venues. Um, Joanne, I'd be curious to hear what you think of that. Uh, I think some of it uh, is that people really wanted to support the artists, right? Like they, they did feel for artists and music during the pandemic and they, a lot of them would buy tickets and and try to do that. But, you know, just as you were talking about, like with merch sales, we sort of forecast based on ticket sales and, you know, that's just all very wonky. So that's all really hard to try to figure out too. Um, there probably is a space for, you know, again, like I went to Europe in uh, November and I started to feel sick, you know, and I thought five years ago, I would have just gone to the meetings, but instead I kind of had to like, just stay where I was and feel better. Cause I'm like, you just can't do that. You know? So even from a business perspective, you know, you're, you're just not doing it. We probably never should have been, as we all know, we're just, you know, idiots, but, um, you know, so from a perspective of going out to see live shows, people are feeling that way too. And there, there does need to be kind of like a ticket system or something that could maybe be more trustworthy than what people feel like they have as options now, you know, just that's also suspect when you try to go to buy tickets and, you know, all that kind of thing. But yeah, I, um, there's just a lot of figuring out of how to do things a different way. And maybe some good things will come out of it too, you know, along the way. I think that, you know, obviously adversity creates innovation. So um, I think we we have that as a positive. Maybe a new business venture as on the works here. Yeah. Um, and with the live music side, uh, the costs going up and, you know, I think Jonathan, you also sort of talked about how maybe the crowds were less, but it almost sends my sensibility is the right people are in the room. The the people who are really more passionate with the artist, the the fans that are going to engage more. Um, I kind of, this is my thing is I kind of think that for a while we're going to focus more locally and as, as was mentioned, residencies potentially, but really building that super fan. Uh, and, and I think, artists need to really focus on really having conversations with the fan directly. It's almost like that wall needs to disappear. It used to be here's artist labels in between and, and the fans over there and, and the artist didn't have that direct connection a lot of the times and there was gatekeepers in the way. Uh, do you feel that, and I'm going to ask Jonathan, this is like, do you feel that that's kind of the, where things are going is artists will really connect more directly with fans yeah, and like I said, I, yes, is a short answer. And I, I, I think that that's part of a general trend anyway, I find that, um, you know, it's funny, when I was first doing this 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you know, you, you were always swinging for the fence with everything you did. You know, uh, you, you wanted everything to be the giant home run. And, you know, now, um, again, we're, we're really trying to focus more on um, the core audience of, of, of every artist. Um, you know, when people ask me, what do I think is a success in the music business? I think a success is when somebody can can pay their rent and hopefully have a half decent living um, doing music. That's it. It's not like, oh, winning a Grammy Award. Yeah, that would be nice. But you know what? 
paying your rent, doing something you love is nice as well. And, um, you know, I, I think we've just had to reshift our focus to kind of go, all right, who's the audience for this band? Who do we think the audience is for this band? How do we reach the audience for this band? And really sort of target it that way rather than, you know, going wide with every single thing that you do. You know, if you can start to build a real fan base with your core audience, that can lead to great things that go outside of that core audience. But, you know, it's 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 much harder to leapfrog that step than it used to be. You know, back in the day, you know, you'd put out a song, maybe you get lucky with radio and boom, you know, like could call me, ha call me maybe happen again now? I'm not sure. Maybe it could. But it's very rare that any one thing like radio sort of drives some huge success. It's usually, you know, again, building to a core audience that then grows, then grows a little bit, grows a little bit more. And then, you know, you get lucky maybe and, and you've got a, a one day you sort of go, shit, we got a pretty big audience here. So, um, yeah, the, the way we've approached this has uh, has drastically changed. And all that um, COVID really did was almost um, speed up a lot of those changes for us. It kind of made us go, OK, well, we weren't doing it for that reason. But, hey, it's probably a good thing we were taking this approach because it's actually worked out well, given the COVID stuff. Absolutely. I feel COVID's kind of like pushed us forward faster. Um, and we're going to start talking about the tech really soon. Uh, and in the chat, I'm curious, I'm going to ask everybody, have you engaged with AI yet? Uh, have you started using chat GPT? Uh, you can say yes in the chat if you have and uh, share stories if you want. Um, but I do want to share one story that Steve Stewart shared on one of our previous chats, kind of along with what Jonathan is saying. Um, Steve Stewart managed Stone Temple Pilots, if people don't know. Uh, but he mentioned that one of the big parts of their success was on their first album, he made the band put an address on the back that people could mail the band. And uh, they ended up getting tons of letters. And he made the band phone each and every single person that sent a letter. And he's like, could you imagine being a teenager in high school and Scott Weiland just talked to you on the phone? That's a super fan. And he's going to go and or they're going to go and talk to their friends all about that experience. Uh, so that type of capability is even more prevalent through DMing on social media, doing a voice DM, sharing messages. Like this is an engagement time with fans and I think it's actually really brilliant, truthfully. And I don't, I'm surprised more people aren't jumping on it. Uh, so anyways, uh, like I said, if you've used chat GPT or engaging with AI, please put it into the chat. Uh, we'd like to sort of get a gauge on how people are thinking about AI or not. I'm seeing a lot of people resist, don't want to take part, and other people full on, and others, of course, in the middle. Um, I'm jumping in. I've been really working with it uh, over the last week and a half, but even in that week and a half, like written two books, uh, how-to guides. Uh, I've done almost a year's worth of social media, done a press release. It's really insane. From my personal experience, it kind of reminds me of days where I was I've been teaching Photoshop for about 20 years. And in early days, I was teaching Photoshop to photographers at Humber College. And they all sat there kind of like, no, 
Uh, I'm going to do this all in the dark room. Don't need to learn this Photoshop stuff. And and I was like, well, in five five years, uh, there might not be dark rooms, and that kind of turned out to be the case. And we'll be back. Hey, as you're listening to this recorded conversation that Daryl's having right now, are you saying, "Oh, goddamn! I wish I could listen. To, I could ask a question." Well, you should have joined us live. But the good thing is, you can in the future. Every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Daryl's having these Indie Weekly conversations. Now, just head over to IndieWeek.com, hit that little Indie Weekly tab at the top of the page, see what's coming up next Tuesday and the Tuesday after that and the Tuesday after that, and you can always register for free. So join Daryl and whatever professional or notable artist or whoever he's bringing on from week to week to have these in-depth conversations that can help you, independent artists, independent music companies, and all manner of professionals across the music industry. Ask the questions you want to ask live to Daryl and his guests every Tuesday. That is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Indie Weekly. Go to IndieWeek.com to see what's coming up and register for free. And we're back. So uh, a lot's going to change. And I think it's going to be a lot of new things are going to happen. So uh, Jessica's back. And uh, Jessica, if you could unmute and let's... Does that fix it? Um, I mean, I think AI, you were asking me how to define AI. I think um, generally people will define it as, you know, teaching computers to think like humans. I think another way to think about it, because I actually think that while that is quite concrete, that's also really abstract in a lot of ways. <laughs> like, what does that actually mean? I think another way to think about it is it's really sophisticated statistics. Um, so you're finding different patterns and predicting based on the past in some ways. Um, um, yeah, chat GPT-3 is very fun to play with if people are curious. And again, like that's a good example where it's looking at statistical patterns, right? It's looking at its training across the entire web. And so a lot of the uses for something like that are um, copy, like there are copywriting tools that have popped up um, or you know, writing a press release or um, chat bots. Um, what's really kind of remarkable about them, I think that is very fun to play with is you can probably take care of some portion of a task that you might have a really, I would say sort of transactional kind of task. It lacks, I think, um, a lot of the creativity and sort of soul that a human would add, but as a time saver, you could probably get the bare bones structurally of something like anyone who's ever tried to write a movie script or right. Like you could imagine it being able to give you um, the kind of the three arc thing that a movie does, and then you're filling in a lot of the color. Um, but it's a fun thing to play around with. Yeah. So as you're saying, it's it's fun to play around with, but uh, I've seen some great stuff come out of it, and I've seen some completely wrong stuff come out of it. One test, put your name in and see what it says about yourself. I apparently was somebody in Scotland and worked for some car company and it was completely wrong so uh that kind of was i was just kind of using that as how correct can it be but also how wrong can it be and we have to have that human element of you still need to check it you still got to be careful on what you put out there because it could be drastically wrong um but it could be a huge time saver uh from what i've seen uh i've used it to create step-by-step -step guides. And a couple of things that have sort of come up in conversations is why use Google anymore? Because in Google, you actually have to 
physically click on a link to get info where this could just give you info. And um, just to give a, a prime example is I've asked for it to do a step-by-step -step guide on how to do something, but include YouTube links to actual resources as part of that step. So uh, it, it filtered out great YouTube videos for me to watch uh, to learn how to do something. So um, these are just uses. It's and and uh, <laughs> I, I explained it to somebody this day. Uh, it's early days of AI. Like this is infancy in the public realm. Like where global usage of it. Um, would would you sort of consider that true, Jessica? Like it's still very new days for the general public? I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, AI has gone through these troughs and peaks and it's not a new field by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it certainly feels like it's accelerated quite a bit in the past three or four years. Um, if I just think about what we do, which is again, where we take the full mix and then we can isolate the stems uh, from that. Um, I mean, that's a problem that people have been working on for decades and it was really thanks in large part to advances in deep learning that have able have allowed us to be able to achieve the quality that we have and that would have been impossible regardless of how clever we might be that wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago but i think um you know i i think i think a little bit more broadly than even that i think if you were even to ask google putting aside you know what they would say about uh whether they're threatened by gpt3 um it, like the internet generally is in its infancy um, and so I think, you know, uh, it, it's pretty wild to see, think of like what we will see in the next 10 years, five years. Absolutely. I was trying to explain it to somebody earlier today and I, I chat GPT, like, again, this is to me sort of like the first time where public is really like, oh, we should pay attention and, and jump on board. Uh, it's kind of like Pong. I mean, like when Pong first came out, that's like first video game and it was just this dot going across the screen and look at what video games are nowadays. Uh, so we know what history has said is things will advance, things will get better. Uh, so it's interesting to sort of think like, where are we going to be at in 12 months with this stuff? And what we've seen in the last two weeks, uh, it's been pretty impressive. Um, but I'm curious to hear from uh, Joanne and Jonathan. Uh, we'll start with Joanne. Like, what are your thoughts on AI and uh, how can that impact, you know, we talked about live music, but also just the music industry in general, from what you've heard. I like this idea of it making a shell of things for me on the PR side. I mean, you know, that's always my biggest dread when I go to write a press release is actually getting it started, you know, and I think that's probably sort of what a lot of us have trouble with. I will edit anything I love, you know, but I love having the structure there. Um, so I'm already sort of dreaming of ways to use that um, over there. And I'm also somebody that, you know, um, I do Google a lot of things like my my car had no sound. And, um, you know, I called the dealership and they were mystified by it, told me to do a couple of things, didn't work. But then I just went on Google and I was like, why does the this car not make a sound? And there was this whole forum of, of it. Of course, there were a few. And then once they said, you just need to reboot this thing, then I went to YouTube and said, how do I reboot this thing? And it's sort of like, so those two things to me go hand in hand where I Google it. Then I YouTube had a sit there and watch how to do it. So I'm, I'm a very DIY person. And so I feel like this does have a lot of 
benefits to the music industry. I mean, things are very personalized. I would be interested. I just saw somebody in the chat say that people are using it for songwriting ideas. Maybe we're always, I'm always thesaurusing things. If that's a, if that's a verb to thesaurus something, um, you know, like I'm always looking up words, I'm always looking up other words to use in those, that place, what rhymes with, you know, um, so yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I've seen a few people that uh, use it to write some lyrics and, and such it's, it's, uh, I, in fact, I believe today in the guardian, uh, there's an article with Nick cave where he actually, I think said, write a song, but then he commented back. This song is shit <laughs> back to chat GPT. So, uh, it's interesting. Uh, that's making the rounds in the news literally today. Um, it's going to be cool. Uh, Jonathan, what are your thoughts? Um, so, okay. This is old guy, old grumpy guy thoughts. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I honestly, I, it feels so dehumanized to me in, in a business where I think, you know, 604 has done well by really having a personality and, and, and encouraging our artists to have, you know, um, authentic personalities the the it feels so inauthentic to me it feels lazy it feels scary that it's going to lead to weird places um so i don't know maybe i'm just old-fashioned maybe i just you know i don't mind using my fingers to type you know i don't mind using my head to think about things i don't want to take shortcuts like that um you know most of the best ideas for our company have come from me sitting around in my office at 2 a.m usually smoking pot and thinking about uh, interesting ways to market things and interesting ways to connect with people. And I don't know, for me, it ain't broke, so I don't feel the need to fix it. Um, so God bless, I don't have any, I'm not against it or anything. It just doesn't feel right for me and it doesn't feel right for my company. Right. And you know what, that's very valid. And I've, I've had these kinds of conversations and I think, uh, what I, I've said it to somebody where if you imagine like here's a pie, there's going to be a certain percentage of people that are going to be going this tech route, certain percentage that are completely not going to use it. And there's going to be a certain percentage that are kind of in between. And, and I think that everything is valid, but as long as uh, whoever's working, I mean, we're all trying to be successful. We're all trying to be sustainable careers. So I'm taking it from that point of view is that they're being genuine with whatever they're doing and they're putting effort and work into it. And I think that that's, that's if anything, where AI can assist in elevating um, maybe the mundane work and, and the, the tasks that kind of take away from creativity because a lot of the chats that we've had over the last two years on here with artists feeling there's so many things I need to do as a DIY artist now I don't have time to be an artist as much. So, so if anything, I'm hoping it actually becomes a tool that opens up time uh, for artists to be creative and and such. Uh, but it's it's going to be very cool. And and you know, going back to Jessica with Audio Shake, I think that that's just going to take off, and it's really exciting to think about. Um, now, Jessica, because my headphones weren't. Uh, working there uh what do you see um you know music going 
you've your company takes stems apart what's the next stage like what's like where where does it go from there yeah um first i just want to say i don't if it's reassuring i don't think and i have no skin in the game on this what we do is we take the full mix we split it apart we're not building a generative tool um like for example song generation or something like that uh but as someone in the field and watching all this stuff and sometimes partnering with companies that are either vehemently against this or that are working on this um i don't think ai is going to destroy creativity anytime soon i think that um any of us any people who have played with chat gpt3 which by the way is just an example of an ai technology um i think very much it lacks all heart and soul um as nick cave said as i am no nick cave but just using it for a bunch of different reasons you can see that um but i think it has uh the possibility to help us in some mundane administrative tasks that we might um anyway that was just sort of an aside but uh in terms of what we're doing you know i think the things that like i said today most people use our technology on like the label publisher artist side for things like sync licensing to create stems for dolby atmos mixes and that can be again whether you uh have older recordings and never created the stems for them or what is actually also quite common is that you know your or the producer's hard drive crashed and you don't have it um so that's the majority of what we do today is in those areas i think what's really interesting though is when you start thinking about bringing fans and artists closer together and if you already look at what's happening on platforms like TikTok um or even on audius um and it happens in different ways but thematically it's very similar which is people throwing themselves into the music if you're on a platform like audius they already allow you to do stem drops, allow your fans to remix and upload back to Audius um, so that the artists can actually pin the mixes that they, the remixes that they like. And you could imagine how even further and deeper they could go with that. Um, similarly on TikTok, you already see how people are pulling apart songs um, or certain, or the sped up versions or a slice of a song, of course, all of that is then getting reimagined in these wild ways by users. Um, and if you just take that, like we did a thing with Green Day where um, they don't have the masters to their 91 album Kerplunk. So they used Audio Shake to create the stems for 2000 Light Years Away. They uploaded all that audio minus the guitar to TikTok. So that was the duet audio, was everything but the guitar. And then Billy Joe played guitar along live in the video. So that meant that all of their guitar playing fans could now join Green Day and could play guitar along with the band. And it was like their best performing TikTok of all time. People loved it, right? Because any of us who learned to play an instrument, like I remember sitting on my bed, like trying to pick out bass lines of punk songs and like, it's hard, right? You'd be reversed, you'd be hitting back on the CD or whatever to try and hear the song again. Um, like that, that's the dream if you're trying to learn is to be able to like play along with the band, join the band or isolate the instrument. You could imagine if I could all of a sudden duet with Ariana Grande or you know, karaoke above her song. You can think of all the different ways that people could throw themselves more deeply into the music. And what I think is all is really cool about all of that is that one, you're you're starting to create even more conversation and reimagination of a song. You don't just have the original song. You might get the calypso version. You might get the local version that really resonates in a particular local territory. Um, but you also start to create new kinds of revenue streams. I think for artists too, um, particularly in closed environments where that can be tracked as the song 
transforms. Um, so, you know, those are the kinds of things that we're pretty excited about working with people on and working with managers and working with labels. Like, I think that the, the, the trick and the challenge and all of this is going to be, um, all of this is going to happen and how do we do, whether we all like it or not, someone, somewhere similar to this conversation about AI, how do we do it in a way that is, um, the best outcome for artists and for artists who don't want to participate and who don't, that they're not forced into a world that doesn't correspond to how they envisioned their art interacting with, with people. And so I think that's, that will be a really interesting um, conversation that we'll, we'll start to see too. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's like almost everything is valid. Like there's an audience for so many things that we haven't even thought of. Um, and I think What's exciting is when you put the music in the hands of the user, the fan, and what they do with it creates something new. That creates a, a bond between artist and fan. Again, kind of going back to we talked about the live side of things, but this is on the digital side, still creating that fan experience. And that is super key in going towards a sustainable career, I find, in the music industry. Um, while you were talking, I got to admit, I Googled just to be devil's advocate. Uh, Justin Bieber's song, just so you know, uh, lyrics for uh, Ooh Baby or Baby uh, are literally Baby, 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 Oh, like Baby, 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 No, like Baby, Baby, Oh, I thought you'd always be mine, mine. Uh, so could that have been a chat GPT uh, song? Possibly, uh, you know, like so. Uh, just being devil's advocate. Well, but hold on. Are we saying that the <laughs> lyrics of Justin Bieber's song are the things that make Justin Bieber's song the thing that we all sing? I well, don't think anyone, you I'm know, like, I mean, I, th I think there, I think it's more nuanced <laughs> than that, right? It's Justin Bieber. It's everything that Justin yes. Bieber did to the hearts of many, in particular, teenage girls. It's a whole package, right? Um, and the way he sang it and so on and so forth, too. I agree. Uh, baby, baby, probably. Yes, chat GPT-3 <laughs> could do that. And in fact, can easily transcribe it and translate it into about 100 languages right now. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, yes, that's a... Uh, um... Jessica just sort of dropped a little thing is yes, translations. Um, I've used it to translate a document into Portuguese because I'm in Brazil uh, very quickly. Uh, so if it, another quick thing is with artists, you could translate all of your lyrics into as many languages chat GPT, of course, check the translation. But um, I'm remembering when Terry McBride gave a talk at Canadian Music Week on declining uh, CD sales, how do we get increased sales? He had Avril sing in 15 languages on her new single. So therefore, number one in Japan, number one in Spain, and so on. Uh, so uh, this is could also open up international markets um, in a new way, which could be really exciting, especially uh, website translations, uh, it's really big here in Brazil. I've worked with an artist here, for instance, where they're trying to come to North America. So they're releasing music in English and their fans here are backlashing against them on, wow, how do you dare betray us by not singing Portuguese? Uh, so um, they had to learn English to say those uh, lyrics, uh, but but it's a good kind of thing of going towards international and globalization, uh, connecting with fans. Um, Wow, it's uh, already five minutes left. This is crazy how fast these conversations go. And we could talk forever about these. We might have to do a part two at some point. 
uh, maybe it's a check-in mid mid year and seeing where are we at. Uh, but I would like to hear everybody's sort of final thoughts on uh, you know what's what's 2023 going to look like. Uh, so Joanne, I'll I'll, I'll let you uh, start first. I did have to go look up uh, the Justin Bieber song. There are six writers on that thing. <laughs> so it's even <laughs> anyway, I'm like, wow. Uh, that's a whole other topic is uh, how many writers there are on tracks. <laughs> but, you know, he could have gotten a much bigger piece of that writing if if he did any of it at all. Um, uh, by just having your AI, you know, your Scarlett Johansson, um, her do the first version of it. And then he could have just edited down and, you know, gotten a much larger piece. But anyway, uh, so I was blown. I was, I was distracted. Are we summarizing 2023? Well, I think it's going to look better than 2022. Um, and, uh, again, I think it's, people are figuring out new ways. Uh, I believe there's a lot more fan interaction with artists and that we'll continue to see a lot of the jobs, uh, that used to be done by other people now sitting on top of the artist's shoulders, you know, so artists are really responsible for delivering the news, for creating the music, for doing the live, like, they are they are required to do all of all of the things that you know we used to use publicists and labels and managers and all those sorts of things for and i think that that's going to become more and more you know that fans want that absolute direct connection and that's going to be even more heavily weighted this year Excellent. I, I, I'm going to respond to some of those points in a bit. You've made me really think, uh, but I want everybody to talk first. So, uh, Jonathan, uh, if you can uh, chime in. On what I think 2023 is going to look like? Yeah, it's just sort of summarizing. Honestly, 20 years of running this label, and, and on so many respects, we still do things the way we did it 20 years ago. I mean, it's still about making great art. It's still about putting artists in a position where they can create amazing art. A great song does so much more for a person's career than any amount of fucking around with AI. You have a great song, guess what? Um, you know, you can do something with that. Um, uh, and again, I'm not I'm not shitting on AI. I, I understand there's a reason for it and that there's uses for it. And I, I don't think it's invalid or anything like that. I'm just saying, to me, the core of what sold a band 20 years ago is still what sells a band in 2023. Great songs innovative marketing. If that means in the innovative marketing side that we're using some of these new technologies, great. But it doesn't change the fact that if you don't have great art, great honest art at the base of it all, no amount of of technology is going to move that art. Um, you know, um, great art is what is what creates great careers. Um, and I don't think that that's changed really. I still think that that's the core of this business is um signing artists who who are who are great at making art and who are compelling in in hopefully uh, a bunch of different ways so that's always been our focus um you know that's why i built this facility that we're in in vancouver where we've got studios and sound stages and you know i i think it's my job to to create a palette for the artists to paint their masterpiece on but it's still about the artist painting their masterpiece. So we're just trying to do everything we can to help facilitate that. Awesome. I, I agree with uh, 
a lot of what you said, Jonathan, and I'm seeing a lot of people clapping and uh, uh, also appreciating it as well. Um, Jessica, your turn. I don't think I have a whole lot to add. I think it's. Um, I think we're going to see new kinds of fan engagement. Uh, like I said before, I think interactivity and the intersection of interactivity with fan engagement and new kinds of audio experiences is really going to accelerate over the next 18 months, ranging from being able to karaoke to original tracks like you already see on Apple Sing. I think we're going to see that on more platforms uh, through to making it easier for fans to or for artists to drop stems. One thing we haven't talked about, but that I think is really interesting uh, in terms of, for example, for AI, sorry, this will be a quick thing. You know, one thing that we've always been very careful on is we've never um, advocated on the audio shake side. We're, we're not trying to replace real stems. If you have your stems, like use your real stems. Why would I, why would I give you something where you don't know what's going to be in the box when you have it, right? What's interesting about AI stems though, is that they can allow new kinds of experiences that real stems cannot. So a good example of that is in something like gaming. So if you ever wanted to have a world in which say on Roblox, or in a game, if they want to have a corpus of say a million songs or a hundred thousand songs, where those songs are reactive to the gameplay. Every time the hero enters the cave, all the music drops except for the bass, or every time someone's slayed or whatever, again, something happens to the music. You need to make sure that those audio assets are, you have to have stems, which we know not all catalog has, but also those audio assets need to be standardized. And what makes stems, the real stems so great is that, you know, like Daryl's song sends me 10 stems and Jonathan's song is eight stems. And this song over here is 15 stems. And actually Jonathan, when he bounced his stems, he called his guitar Wawa, but Daryl called his guitar and William called his guitar, but actually it was a vocal because when he was bouncing it, he forgot to change the label. All of those things are not a big deal when you are dealing with something that's very highly crafted and one-off, like someone making a remix or a, a Dolby Atmos mix but are disastrous if you wanna do something at scale because you need the taxonomy to be the same, you need the deliveries to be standardized. So what's also interesting, and I don't think this will happen the next year with gaming, but is gonna happen and I think is really great for artists, particularly for indie artists, um, is that I think indie artists in particular and indie content is going to become a huge um, source of content for games and that the ability to use AI to create those um, reactive, adaptive audio elements across a massive corpus of audio um, is going to be very, very powerful for game developers. Um, and I think that indie artists are particularly and indie distributor, distribute, di why can't I say in dis distributors? Why was that hard? Um, are going to be able to provide that much more quickly than others in the industry potentially. And so I think that's that's going to be a whole new revenue stream that traditionally most artists have been locked out of. So I think that's cool. That's very cool. And I, I, I think there's so much more coming. Uh, like I said, it's kind of taking that gatekeeper down where artists have that direct connection. Um, and gaming is, is going to be a big part of that. Now, I, I wanted to say, summarize my sense on, on it a little bit in uh, my background also is in like graphic design. And like I said before, with Photoshop. And one of the things we used to we saw in that industry is a lot of free assets became available and all that kind of stuff. But one thing I've seen with tech is when people start kind of 
going all in the same direction it almost everything is the same the same the same and and i could sort of see that is a potential that might happen but with jonathan kind of going with what jonathan said is being unique is i think what's going to also still stand the test of time is like there's you know unfortunately sadly we've just lost jeff beck there's only one jeff beck there's no one like him and if you think of his career and we celebrate it he was a guitarist the world knows this guitarist who probably sang two songs on all the albums he recorded everybody knows jeff beck because there's only one and i think uh this hopefully becomes a way to sort of accentuate your uniqueness and I think that's what's going to be a big selling factor in any artist's career. So as Jonathan said, be really good at what you do, be a great artist, but be unique. And I think that this will help accelerate that. Um, at least I hope so in a positive way in using tech moving forward. Um, what I do know from my own experience is it's going to proceed with or without me. And, and I kind of say this a lot my opinion really does not matter because it's going to do what it's going to do uh it's just whether i choose to be part of it aware of it educated of it or not uh, and i think that that's one thing that's a big factor is if everybody can be in the know and educate themselves they're armed to decide am i this piece of the pie i'm full on in or am i this piece of the pie full on out or am i going to do a little bit of in between uh, but you only can really know that if you educate yourself and I, I really strongly highly suggest everybody take the time to do that and uh, there's YouTube five minute videos eight minute videos you could learn a lot that, that's kind of where I started and, and uh, went down a rabbit hole one night and found myself five hours later after a whole bunch of five minute videos of like uh feeling pretty confident in, in uh, trying it out. So um, with that said, I have to say thank you to our speakers. Uh, what a great group of speakers topics. Uh, thank you so much for spending your time with us. All right, so that does it for this week. Big thanks to Jonathan, Joanne, and Jessica for uh, taking the time to join Daryl for Indie Weekly last month. Kind of not realizing till this moment that apparently your name had to start with a J to be part of that session. But anyways, it was a great conversation. Of course, we just recently wrapped up the Screen by Screen online music and tech conference. The next uh, online conference we have coming up is Indie 101. It's going to be running from May 1st to 3rd this year. Indie 101, if you haven't attended before, it's really all about the uh, foundational kind of nuts and bolts information for having a thriving career, either as an artist or also on the business side of music. Really about actionable, uh, hands-on advice to help you boost your career or brand or business. So go to Indie101.com to uh, check out uh, you know what's coming up as that information is released. And of course, um, it's always great to get on top of the early bird or super early bird tickets to get that discount. And lastly, before we go, just one last thank you to our uh, Indie Week sponsors. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, Actor Racks, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, SEMA, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SoCan Foundation. And we also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. See you back here again next week.